As we get into this, let's, um, let's look at this, this passage. This is from John 12. So this is um, a little bit before where Emily read for us this morning, the passage of Palm Sunday. But I want to read this, and I want to help this to take us into where we're headed this morning. It says this in John 12, starting in verse 1. It says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Now, last week in a house church Sunday, we looked at the passage that this is referencing when it says that this Lazarus was whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And we looked at this story where Jesus was in this same town where Lazarus lived, but also where Lazarus had died. Now, many of us don't really say it because that goes a little bit backwards, right? So Lazarus had lived in Bethany, Lazarus died in Bethany, and Lazarus lived again in Bethany. And it's not very often that we talk about people who had lived somewhere, died somewhere, and are living in that same place again, right? So this raises all kinds of questions for people who are living in that community who say, well, wait a minute, this is not the guy who lives here, that's the guy who died here. That's not just the guy who's just hanging out with Jesus, reclining at a table, this is the guy that last week I went to his funeral. Like, so I want you to see, like, sometimes we read through stuff so quick, right? We get in these passages and we read it and we go, oh yeah, Lazarus is the guy that Jesus raised from the dead. Like that's a normal thing that happens all the time, right? So instead I want us to imagine we're in like the, the crowd with these people. We show up at this dinner that is given in Jesus' honor at Lazarus' house because if Jesus raised you from the dead or raised your brother as Martha and Mary, if they if you, if raised from the dead, you'd be like, Jesus, I'd like to honor you with a dinner. It's the least I can do. You're not gonna give him a gift card to Olive Garden. All right, you're not going to give him you're not going to give him cash and say, you know, go have whatever dinner you want. You're going to say, I'm going to host you in my home. I'm going to give a banquet in on your honor. My brother Lazarus was dead and you raised him. And so imagine the scene. <laughs> Martha's preparing everything. Everybody's laying back. Yeah, I love I love this. Lazarus is sitting reclining. We didn't sit, you didn't sit at normal tables, chairs. You reclined together. And Lazarus is leaning back against his friend. So we saw last week, Mary, Martha, Jesus, all best friends. And just, just such a close relationship there. So we see this incredible uh, story sort of taking place here. One of these most incredible, miraculous stories. And I want you to just imagine for a minute. Emily, can you grab my glasses out of my bag? Can you find them? I'm not sure, but I, I'm going to need them. Is it under, under, the, under here? Can you find them for me, please? So real quick, uh, just, just to tell you what's going on here, um, I had cataract surgery, and uh, a lot of people didn't know that, and I have to be super careful because I have this really interesting lens that is an adjustable lens that if I um, get too much UV light, like what is coming through those windows right now, I can mess up my lens and have a huge mistake and have to go back under surgery. So I'm going to wear these. Yes. Isn't that awesome? Yes. Yes. Somebody take a picture. Make sure to keep this because this is going in the Southeast Archives for a very 
very long time, all right? So stop laughing. Stop, Jeff. I'm going <laughs> to... But can you imagine, I want to go back to this. Can you imagine showing up at this dinner and seeing this guy, seeing this guy who walked out of a tomb, still wrapped in grave clothes, and now he's sitting here hanging out with Jesus? That'd be a weird set of images, wouldn't it? And if you saw that firsthand, it would be very hard to explain away. Now, this is important because John wanted to show us these signs and wonders of Jesus. The raising of Lazarus is another sign and miracle to show who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Messiah that people had come to wait for, that people had been looking for, the Messiah who would save them, as we sang earlier. And then as they encountered this Jesus, as they encountered this Messiah, and they encountered these signs and miracles and these invitations to believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he is the one who has come to save, they were then invited to believe. And some people did believe. Some people put their trust in Jesus. Mary and Martha and all these people, we talk, we talk about that they said, yes, I believe. You are the Messiah, the Son of God. But others didn't believe. So you've got these folks who said, yes, this is the Messiah. You have these folks who said, no, this is not the Messiah. Something else is going on here. And this, has, this is an incredible tension. And it has incredible implications because belief in Jesus wasn't just, okay, I'll check that box. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. That sounds good. Belief in Jesus was a seismic shift in the status quo. But belief in Jesus as the Messiah, especially before, as we're going to see, his death and his resurrection. Belief in this idea that the Messiah had come into this world, into Jerusalem. That idea was a huge shift that had all kinds of implications, spiritual implications. We're going to see it had some political implications. It had all of these things that made everybody stop and go, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do we do with this? And so we have all of this tension, and that's where I want to go. So let's back up. Let's look at the story again here real quick, and then we're going to move forward. It says this, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of Lazarus, the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. For he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Didn't I tell you? If you believe, see the glory of God. And then listen, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up. He said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his feet and his hands wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So here's this sign, this wonder of who Jesus is. John loves these signs, these wonders. He even tells us later on, and we're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks, he even, he even talks about this idea that Jesus did so many signs and wonders that if he could write them all down, there would never be enough room to write all of them down, that there wouldn't be enough room in all of the books to say all the things he did and all the things that he had accomplished. But he says, he tells us, that he that he told us these things. He wrote down these things so that we could believe and that through Jesus, we would see the glory of God 
And these signs and wonders weren't just signs and wonders to impress people. They were glimpses of heaven. They were glimpses of God's glory. And this is still true in our lives today. There are still stories of unexplainable healings, God moving in ways we don't fully understand, but there are also miraculous glimpses of God's grace. Have you ever seen a miraculous glimpse of God's grace? A miraculous glimpse of God's mercy? Miraculous glimpses of God's love in a world of hurt and suffering and intolerance? Every time we see God's love moving, it is miraculous as he moves in and through us. So don't discount something just because it isn't a physical healing, that it's not something that God is doing miraculous. God continues to work. And when we allow the Holy Spirit to transform our lives and work in and through us, when grace and mercy and love are lived out in this world, the glory of God is revealed. Glimpses of heaven are experienced. And in those moments, we're invited to believe and see what God can do through our lives. And that's what happens in this story. Let's continue. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. And some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. And you would think that they would meet together. Somebody ran to the Sanhedrin, to the Pharisees and said, this Jesus, listen what he just did. He, he just raised this man from the dead. And you think they would all get in a meeting together. They'd have this huge gathering and they would look at each other and they'd be like, this is it. This is what we waited for. This doesn't happen every day. Let's go out. Let's go meet this person. But instead, here's what happens. It says, what are we accomplishing? Here is a man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. See, so now we start to enter into some of these geopolitical things that are going on. We see that the Messiah doesn't just have spiritual implications, but had some political implications for these people. So here's our tension found in these Pharisees. Belief in Jesus, as they argued, had implications. Belief in Jesus meant that they could lose everything that mattered to them. Did you catch that? If, if we let people believe in him, the Romans will come. They'll take away our temple. They'll take away our nation. They'll take away our power. They'll take away our ability. They'll take away all the things we know. They'll take away the things that mattered to them. See, belief in Jesus meant they would lose everything that mattered, even as they saw the signs in who Jesus was. They, they leaned more towards the side of, I don't want to lose everything. It would mean trading everything that you know. If I choose Jesus, I'm giving some stuff up. But why? Who really was Jesus? What, what did people believe that he had come to do? And the answer to this is found in the story that we started with today. So now let's go back to John 12 in verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary, this is Lazarus' other sister, Martha's other sister, 
Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of their perfume. Now, as shocked as people would have been to see Lazarus, the previously dead man that everybody had gone to his funeral, as shocked as they would be to see him sitting next to Jesus, this encounter, this, this thing that happens with Mary right here would have been even more shocking. I, I, I really think that. I, I think that the people would have been like, what is going on? The, the, this, was, this was so uh, just shocking, surprising, almost shameful in some kind of ways. Nobody expected this to take place. It, it, what, it, what seemed like almost like spontaneous worship, and that's how John writes it. He writes it in a way that he's like, everybody's just kind of hanging out. Everybody's laying back. Lazarus, the previously dead guy again, is just chilling back, you know, with some of his grave clothes. Still, you know, take the rest of that off there, right? He's just kind of hanging back. He's the star of the show. He's the, this is his dinner, guys. And then Mary upstages him. She looks over at Jesus. She takes this perfume that's expensive, that is worth a whole, whole, whole lot pours it out on Jesus, takes her hair down, begins to wipe his feet up with her hair. And I mean, the room just would have been nuts. And when people first walked in, saw Lazarus, they'd be like, wow, Lazarus. And then she does that and they go, whoa! What is happening? What is going on in this moment? It was shameful. It was audacious. It was actually seemingly wasteful in a town called Bethany, which most likely meant something like the place of the poor. Uh, so this is a very this isn't a very wealthy area. So in fact, we read on one of her disciples, one of Jesus's disciples, even called her out. She was wasting. What was she doing? But what Mary did had significant meaning that helps us understand this tension around belief in Jesus. See, in essence, Mary anointed Jesus as one would traditionally anoint a high priest or a king. To, to anoint someone like this, to anoint someone with this perfume would say, this is a high priest, this is a high king, anointed for their purpose. And as she poured, poured out that perfume, she's lavishly worshiping Jesus. She's setting him in his proper place. She's saying, this is the king. And in that moment, John, what he's doing with this language, with this picture, with this metaphor, with this image, is telling us that Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus is the Messiah, or what gets translated as the Christ. The Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Mary had seen all that Jesus had done, she saw these signs, these wonders, these miracles. She saw what he taught. She saw Lazarus raised from the dead. And she came to believe in what he had come to do. And so in that moment, Jesus, to her, had shifted from wise teacher. Jesus had shifted for her from the place of friendship, and they had a deep friendship. And Jesus shifted into Messiah and King. And I want you to feel that. I want you to experience that. I want you to think about that, what that would have been like as Mary. That Mary, when she first met Jesus, he was a good teacher. 
When she first met Jesus, he began to share and love and show a life that nobody had ever shown before. And then he befriended her. Imagine that. Imagine Jesus. He becomes friends with her. He begins to dine in her home. They become so close. And then in this moment, she looks and she says, you're not just my friend. Can you imagine the emotion? Can you imagine looking in his eyes? You're not just my friend. You're just a good teacher. You're a king. You're the savior. You're the Messiah. Hundreds of years of promise. Hundreds of years of prophecy. Hundreds of years of waiting for this moment comes crashing in right here. In this, in this encounter, this moment of belief for Mary. And she can't help but worship. And she takes the thing that is the most worthwhile thing, one of the most worthwhile things that she would have owned. She says, forget it. She pours it out and she worships. And she anoints him king. The Pharisees, can you imagine the scene? They would have looked and they would have said, what are you doing? What are you doing? Do you know what it means to anoint him as king? Do you want to know what anoint him as Messiah? You know what the Romans are going to do when they find out that you anointed him as the king? Who are you to even anoint him as king? We didn't do that. We didn't, we didn't choose this. But everything's getting out of control. Everything's going to be getting to run away, right? All the people are beginning to hear whispers. Maybe this is the king. This is the king. Yes, this is the king. All of a sudden they're saying, here's the king. The king is here. The king is here. The king is here. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches, went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. So I want you to imagine the next day. <laughs> so listen to this. Think about this. We talk, we talk in our country, right, about the great ride of Paul Revere, right, and telling everybody, hey, the British are coming, the British are coming, right? That pales in comparison to what happened here. That day that Lazarus is reclining against his friend, Mary pours out the perfume and worship. She anoints him as king. All of a sudden, everybody's looking around in the room, and they're like, he's the king. Some guy in the back is listening, and people are whispering and kind of going crazy, and he's like, i got to go tell everybody. He runs out, and he runs to his village. He's running down the street, right? The king is here. The king is here. It's kind of like those guys I've told you about when the Colts won the Super Bowl, the guys that were wearing basically almost nothing, running down my street yelling, the Colts just won. Looked out, and I was like, wow, you guys are really excited. I, don't, I hope this guy had more clothes on than that, but this guy is stoked. He's just running through. The king is here, right? And somebody else runs, and he runs to his village, and there's this whisper campaign. It's not even a whisper campaign. It's a yelling campaign. People are just going crazy. And all of a sudden, it gets to Jerusalem, and all these people show up. So did you see how that began to happen? It, it just, the crowd just turned. And they started yelling, Hosanna, save us. Save us. Save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. But simmering behind the scenes of this crowd were those Pharisees. 
They're standing back. They're looking in disdain. Frustration. How did this happen? How did everybody turn? They began to plot to kill Jesus. Because if Jesus was the king, the Messiah who would rescue them, then the Romans would take notice. They wouldn't be very happy to know that the people celebrating the arrival of a king who had come to rescue them, who had come to set them free. Now listen to this language again as the crowd celebrated. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Let's just say that real loud. Let's say Hosanna together. Hosanna! Come on. There's a crowd cheering their king. Hosanna! Right? And they're yelling this out. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And they take these palm branches. They begin to set them out. And the palm branches were waved like flags of victory. Not to belabor the metaphor here. After I saw those crazy guys running down the street going nuts, right? I got in my car. It was like, what was it, like 10 degrees out that night? Do you guys remember that? It was like, it was so cold. We get downtown. We have this huge Colts blanket, man. This thing was probably, it was, it's about this big. And uh, my friend says, we should go wave it. Let's find the highest point we can go up. And I was like, let's go to the dome. So we go to the RCA dome, and there's like police tape around. I'm like, this doesn't belong for us. Let's go. We climb up the stairs, and we're just waving this thing, and we're freezing, and we're, people are honking and going crazy, right? Because we're celebrating. We're waving our flag of victory. And again, that pales in comparison. Pales in comparison. So these palm branches waved like victory. A new king had arrived. Here's the thing. We celebrate today. We lean fully into the feeling of Mary. We lean fully into the feeling of the crowd. I want you today to celebrate. I want you to imagine waving that palm branch, announcing Jesus as your king. But I also want you to feel the tension. I want us to feel the tension and the reminder of what happened because we know how this ends, right? We know Jesus was a different kind of king than everyone anticipated. But in that moment, right at this point, they weren't thinking about Jesus the way we think about Jesus. They saw the rescue of Jesus turning their world upside down, overthrowing the Romans, setting up a new kingdom on that throne. Now, Jesus does do this in a very different way. Rather than becoming a king on a throne, he became a savior on a cross. He is a king, and his kingdom has no end. No borders, and it lives in and through us. And that is where the tension and the questions are the exact same. That is where the tension remains for us. That's where the questions remain for us. Because if we claim that we have a Savior who frees us and is a King and Lord of our lives, that means that there are things that no longer belong. There are things in our lives that get turned upside down. There there are parts of our life that we look at that we say are the most important to us and we say, no, no. That pales in comparison 
to my king. These Pharisees sat back, they looked, and they said, I don't want to give all this up. I don't want to give all this up. And they rejected Jesus. And other people continued to believe, continued to say, he is my Messiah, he is my king, he is my Lord. And I would give anything for him. So as we enter this holy week, I, let's not rush to the celebration from Palm Sunday to Easter. Sit with the tension of this story over the next few days. Sit with the questions, the fears, the invitation that has incredible implications of salvation, but also incredible implications of sacrifice. So here's some questions I wrote down. Will you worship Jesus with audacity and lavishness? Will you pour out all that you value at his feet and anoint him as king? Will you give up your wants to follow Jesus into a new way of life that brings glimpses of grace and mercy and love into this world? Will you see the sacrifice of his life that he gave to bring salvation and freedom from sin, that you may rest in his grace and his mercy and experience the life that he has promised? These are the questions that we begin to ponder and wrestle with as we come to the moments, as we reflect on the life of Jesus, the anointing of Jesus as king, but also the rejection of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and then ultimately the resurrection of Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this Palm Sunday that reminds us to honor Jesus as king. A reminder that he has come to save. Father, in this moment, we also recognize, we see that tension, we know that tension of the rejection of Jesus, of the holding back from placing him on that well-deserved throne. God, help us today to begin to reflect, to begin to continue to look at our lives, begin to ask ourselves, where are we sitting in that tension today? Father, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your invitation to be a part of your kingdom. It's your name that we pray. Amen.